0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Thomas Gluck, welcome to Entre Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Thomas Gluck is a principal at Gluck Plus in New York City, named by Fast Company as one of the top 10 most innovative companies in architecture. Gluck Plus has been recognized for their unique approach to architect-led design build with single source responsibility and architects leading the building process. Architects at Plus are also construction managers where feedback between method of construction and design is fluid and responsive. And I know when I started talking about architect-led design build, lots of ears perked up with our listeners. That is a topic that architects love to think about. Lots of them dream about it. Some of them try it, um, but, but not enough of them do it, and I'd love to have that conversation with you today, Thomas, to sort of walk through how you do it, how you successfully do it, and how you uh, deliver your projects. and uh, And sounds like a good good conversation to have. Sounds great. All right, let's let's before we do that, let's start with you and your story. I want to know how you became an architect. What where did you discover your passion for architecture? And maybe who or what inspired you to become an architect?
1: Sure. So I uh, I have to go back pretty far, um, as I think some of you may or may not know. I work with my father. He founded the firm fifty years ago. So it's uh, depending on how you look at it, you could say it was you know fifty two years ago that I, when I was born. When, <laughs> um, uh, but it took me a little while to find to find the profession I, I um, had done more science and other things like that. And then got into actually construction. That's really what led me to it. I I was fortunate and lucky to have an opportunity. I lived in Japan when I was a child and I worked for a tea house builder. So I got involved with the making of things before I got into, um, the designing of things. How Um, old were you when you did that? I was 16 high school. And so, Uh, so building tea
0: houses in Japan. 16. Well,
1: building tea houses, you know, sweeping, carrying lumber. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Doing driving, the things that a 16 year old would do on a construction. Loading and unloading. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like yeah, I did. I did the same that. thing, but I was in Hackensack, New Jersey. So it's. It, yeah. <laughs> almost as exotic. <laughs>
1: um, but it was a good experience. And, and, uh, and then I started in college really getting into design through set design and set construction. Um, and they were hand in hand always, um, which is sort of in a college setting fairly common. Um, and it was yeah. phenomenal because in set design, you're going through the whole design to, to construction, to feedback loop in, in two or three months and then strip the whole thing back to black and then start over again. So in a very short time, you get that whole, you know, an architecture. It can be five years from when you think of something to when you actually see it. <laughs> and it's a pretty long, slow feedback loop. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was really when I got into it. So, so your your father was an architect is
0: an architect so what what is um did did you always know did you know that you,
1: that that was your future or no i i re- i really didn't it was you know i think in retrospect people say oh he was you know sure he was going to be an architect from early right. on i was exposed to it obviously yeah. um and uh exposed to looking at things in different ways just you know as a that's a member of a family of an architect um but it wasn't until i actually started uh really started doing it myself in in the theater that i, I realized this is something that i really really was excited about doing
0: um, yeah a lot a lot of children of architects reject architecture um those, those are the smart ones yeah maybe <laughs> maybe because <laughs> you know, you i because i i've heard that story before where architects you know my children are like, no way! We're going to be, become architects, and and I also think that there are a lot of architects who, um, who, who discourage their kids from becoming architects. Which I was I, I was
1: discouraged, but I'm as I'm I'm stubborn. So
0: interesting. So <laughs> so what what did your father hope that you would do?
1: Uh, I don't think he he really had a strong uh preference for what I would do. It's just that as you know, and 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 I think as young uh small firms know, and he was a young small firm, yeah. um, it is a very, very difficult profession. Yeah. So um
0: He just didn't which, want you to struggle.
1: Yeah, it's just it's you 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 get into it for one reason and then you end up spending very little time doing the things that you think you got into it for. Right. Um and I think that's, I mean, this may be a good segue into architect led design build because it's it really turned a little bit that on it head. It, it makes financially, it makes things easier. We have more in terms of, just in terms of design, um, you have more control and it can be less frustrating than a traditional method, uh, design bid build delivery system. Um, and for my father and for me personally and for almost everyone in our office, There are people who get into design because they are interested in conceiving and creating something but also the making of it as opposed to those who are interested maybe only in the conceptual end of something and that's where the interest kind of ends and then the rest of it is kind of out there Um, but if you're interested in the full trajectory of that and seeing something as a concept an idea be manifested in physical form and occupied and used then architecture is like the perfect profession, right? Um, and that's essentially what we do.
0: So before we get into how you do it and how the the firm is structured, because I want to I want to understand all of that. Um, how did it start? How did it start as an architect-led design-build firm, or was mm-hmm. it first architecture and then you discovered that this was an opportunity?
1: It was first architecture, and it evolved slowly, and it evolved in a in a you know so right now we I can put slides up of 40 million dollar buildings high-rise buildings in Manhattan that we designed and built that's sort of a terrifying idea <laughs> yeah um it and it terrify it, it would have been impossible for us to start there not not only for lack of opportunity because but just the thought of that is is, sure. is overwhelming. overwhelming um but that's not how it evolved it evolved um, um pr- pretty pretty um start small and and organically grew in a way that I think almost every architect can understand, which is, so I always ask architects, they said, if you were renovating your house or doing an addition or an apartment renovation, and it was for yourself, you would design it for sure. And you probably would not hire a GC to finish it. You probably would go to specific contractors and kind of manage it yourself because you know, one, you can deliver it for probably, it'd be cheaper to do that way. Um, but you have more control and it's your place and you're comfortable with it. And you're not having to worry about all the risk. You know, that the client in that case is unlikely to sue you because it's you. Um, And, uh, and so that's essentially the model that, that we started with. Uh, It wasn't a personal project. We were working on a remarkable um, uh, opportunity. It was in addition to a Mies van der Rohe house in Connecticut. Um, So, you know, it was uh, it was not only a uh, labor of love, but also a, a, a real responsibility to, to, to do this, to build it properly. And we had designed it very carefully with all the considerations that you would expect. And the contractor simply wasn't up to the task. Our fee didn't really cover it, but there was just no way we could let this thing not turn out well. So we ended up having someone on site full time, you know, kind of blowing a CA budget out of the water, but, but um, <laughs> following construction, following the whole project on site full time and realized that the, that as architects, having designed the building, conceived of it, detailed it, understanding all of the issues, understanding the client needs, understanding the budget and all those sorts of things, we were really well positioned to manage the construction. Um, so we don't build, I mean, there is a whole model of design build where there are people out there swinging hammers. There are far more skilled carpenters than anyone we have, and plumbers and masons and, you know, welders and everything else. So that's not what we do. We, but we manage as architects, we're all, I think really well, um, have the right skill set and really well positioned to manage at the highest level, um, a construction project. And that's essentially how it started.
0: So I want to understand that first project because Mies van der Rohe building, designing in addition to it, overwhelming responsibility for an architect to begin with, and then you start that project with a general contractor and that didn't work out. And so you stepped in out of responsibility. Is that how it happened? Is this like, this has to come out right. And so we're gonna make sure it comes out right. So we're going exactly. to invest our time and money
1: into making sure it comes out right. Exactly. Not a sustainable business model. Yeah. Um, and so uh, on the next single family uh, project, we had a client and we said, you know, w- we realized that we really could, when we, when we realized that we're not going to be physically building it, that we could manage the various trades and find and source the best carpenters and glaziers and all the other things you need. Um, we proposed to, a, a, a single family, um, client that, uh, we do this for them. And they were thrilled. It's like, Oh, you can do that. That's great. Because I don't want to get into, I've had friends all the night, you know, everyone's heard. And this was right. 25, 30 years ago. Um, and it's only gotten more so in the industry. I mean, no one, there's nothing but horror stories about, you know, and fear of, of construction and all the problems. And, and it's hurting us as it's hurting the profession because architects now are getting a bad name because somehow if you have an architect, then you're going to end up with all sorts of problems. And it maybe it's the architect's fault, maybe it's the contractor's fault, and that whole adversarial relationship, which is kind of the norm is counterproductive and not good for anybody us the contractor certainly not the owner
0: so you start with one single residential project you said that you've done 40 story buildings that that are also architect-led design build was that simply a decision that we're now going to use that model and and it was organically just grown to that level of, of process
1: It was, and it was, it it truly was organic. There were steps along the way. So when we're in our, it started in single family um, houses where you have a single owner who's in control uh, and they care very much about it and they want height, they want, you know, a lot of attention and they want top quality. Um, And we were doing those cost plus we were basically architects. I mean, the contractors as advisors Um, bit by bit, as we started to look into the economic, uh, impacts of it and the insurance and the liability and all these other things, we realized we really needed to separate ourselves as architects Mm -hmm. and our professional liability as general contractors. So we started to um, clean things up and also started to realize that we shouldn't be insured as general contractors and not take on that risk as architects, um, which is easy to do. That's just about going to the market and paying for it. And it's a cost that every owner, is used to paying there isn't a job that doesn't have a line item for insurance um, and uh, and then it evolved into uh, being comfortable um, with an opportunity to work on a, a smaller institutional project where you, you pretty much have to guarantee a price so this is another one of these white knuckled threshold moments where now it's not just I'm doing it because I know I can do it and it's working out well but we're going to guarantee uh, an owner, a price. Yeah. Um, Now
0: you're responsible, responsible for the
1: budget. Responsible for the budget. Um, but so is every general contractor by and large. Right. And, uh, I'd say generally architects are as capable, if not maybe a hair more than the, the pool of contractors. And if they can do it, why on earth couldn't, and shouldn't we be able to? Um, and so again, I think a lot of this comes from, the, idea, the ideology office that comes from, from my father, where he was not scared of taking on challenging challenges. And if there's a better way to do something, whether it's a design solution, or in this case, a business model, um, you can't run away from risk. You have to take take on, and with that added risk comes tremendous opportunity and control um, and responsibility in a good way. Um, so it kind of all went hand in hand. So we started then to do uh, guaranteed prices for small institutions. Um, and bit by bit, as you develop a portfolio, it's easier to convince, you know, other clients. Um, and so, I, uh, and it's evolved, and it's at least for us, largest scale, where we're now teaming with CMs and doing an architect-led design-build collaboration. The uh, biggest one was a 146-unit, 180,000 square foot building in Philadelphia, where it's really out of our I mean, we're 35, 40 people and we're all architects uh, and that works on certain size buildings, but at a certain point, you, you just, we're, we're also spending a lot of time doing things that we aren't the best at, like, like organizing the job site and the job super, where, where real value is, is where an architect would have value, which is understanding the drawings, being able to identify what's important and what costs money and what doesn't and where you can save money and where you really can't compromise um, and that's all in, the, and then not, and then the supervision of the day-to-day so that things go in properly the first time around. Let's go. So into- that's, that's, that's kind of where it's gotten to, and that has no upper limit that we feel like we could do at any scale.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's, let's go into the details of the structure a little bit, just so people understand what you're doing and how you're doing it and the responsibilities. So, so you said that you have two separate companies, is that correct?
1: So on paper, we have two right, separate yep. companies. Right. So you and have a, go ahead. We have a, we have, uh, we actually in, in our new, so the Gluck plus the plus stands for more. Um, and it's, so it's Gluck plus architecture is our architectural company and Gluck plus construction CMC is our construction company. But what's fundamental to the value of it is that we're seamlessly integrated in the office. We, so we're, we're still a small office. We maintain mm-hmm. that, um, design office scale, even though we're we're doing more in terms of scope by building, um, because we're integrated. If we simply put under one, not even under one roof, but in one building, a series of contractors and a series of architects who are working together, the divisions and all the problems that, that exist in the world might be mitigated slightly, but wouldn't be eliminated. And in this case, the same people who were cutting foam block models at the beginning of a project are the ones on the job site at seven opening the gates and closing the job site down at the end of the day
0: and it's that integration that's so so key so it's the same team doing both jobs there's no two separate teams running running these projects
1: that's right and and by and large it really comes down to a timesheet thing um so I, I may fill out the job number for architecture, which is four digits front ways, and then the reverse, you run them backwards and that's our construction job number. And I have two hours as an architect on one job, two hours on the same job as a construction manager, two hours on another job. Um, and so it's really, and that continuity is so, so critical because while we're designing, we understand cost. All that information the contractor has is kind of at our fingertips and on our table. And while we're in the field, If there's a little question about which way to do something, we're the ones who came up with the basic premise and what is the spatial goal of this room or, you know, what are we trying to achieve? And yeah, that's a better way to do it. We could save a little bit of money. Nope. Or it's faster. Let's do it.
0: Yeah. Instant decision-making.
1: Instant decision with the right priorities. Right. The problem is there's this giant priority shift when you go from an architect as representing the owner, and then as the contractor who is trying to get things built quickly and and uh, cost effectively. Yeah. So you know you don't lose that. You have all three always.
0: So just uh, this is just out of curiosity. Do, do you and your employees get two paychecks?
1: No, we we we. So we, to keep things simple, we yeah, hug one paycheck. that's why I asked that. Yeah. We all get one paycheck. The back of house accounting. Yeah. Leases. We basically have a system where we lease employees. So we we'll, we we'll, we have two companies, and the hours get cross billed, and that all happens behind the scenes in yeah. the, in, in accounting. But it doesn't affect the day to day and the operation, and that's part of keeping the feel of this place. Yeah, uh, our our single goal is is to work on on great buildings and create pieces of architecture. All of this is a tool that we think enables us to do that better. Um, And so as a business model, it could go and probably become quite profitable and quite large if if that was our mission, but that's not our mission. We're architects, that's what we care about. And we find this way of delivering buildings to be very powerful to achieve that.
0: Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE, the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures, but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30 plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The designing your business masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. F- try FreshBooks. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. It's free. Go to FreshBooks.com architect. FreshBooks.com slash architect. Get started today. That's FreshBooks.com architect. Architect. So, what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by Arcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place, until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at rcat.com slash podcast. That's rcat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entrez Architect community. So practically, can you go to a run through a typical project and what a, a, a project manager would be responsible for? Are they actually designing it and then managing the production drawings and then that same person is also out in the field making sure that that project is being run properly?
1: Yeah. So um, by and large, that's correct. Our project managers, um, I think I would say maybe without exception, our project managers have done that from um, through the architectural process, as you'd expect it to be, and through the construction not everyone on the team we may we would move the whole team to the job site as soon as we have the ability to do so and there may be people doing kind of ca or um, yeah. in the trailer but we're all together and so there's a there's a savings in a and a, not just a savings in time but also there's greater opportunity. You can walk out and look at a space while you're designing a piece of millwork, or if you're reviewing a shop drawing, you can go just get out of your, get off your desk and walk outside up to the tenth floor or whatever and see what it is you're reviewing. Um, so not everyone functions fully as CMs, but we will move the entire team. You know, obviously there's fewer arch- architect hours in construction uh, than construction hours, but we, we are, the people generally are the same people and they're doing the same things. When
0: you're hiring, are you hiring for a specific type
1: of person? We first and foremost, look at design cap- cap- capabilities. And then, um, like I said, previously, people have to be interested in getting their hands dirty, not physically, but there's, there, there is, uh, we, we do a lot of stuff that is not glorious and all architects do but we do a lot more stuff that's not glorious like you know um calling the the portage john company and negotiating with them and so most people don't think about that when they apply to architecture school so <laughs> we we need people who realize that it's all serving the goal of getting this this piece of architecture built uh and we have not had problem finding finding a large body of people who are, um, who are both good at it and interested and willing to do it.
0: So from a client side, when they hire you, they're hiring
1: one company or they're hiring both companies? So we have chosen, and I don't think this is standard. There, there are many different ways of contracting this, um, whether you're using AIA contracts or DBIA, Design Build Institute of America contracts, or um, our own contracts, which is what we've evolved into doing. Um, we have chosen to have two contracts one as an architect and one as a contractor Um, so it mirrors uh at least contractually a more traditional design bit build where you, you might hire the architect early they do a search you find somebody you sign this contract and then later you do the construction um search and part of the goal the reason for that is that very often clients are not quite ready or even in institutions uh, um, case, not even able, like they may be authorized by the board to hire an architect, but by have absolutely no ability to hire a contractor or commit to design build yet. So it, it keeps things, um, it keeps, cause it's still not, I mean, architect by design build is not very common. Design build is getting more and more common. Um, we try to make a very strong distinction And that's really important people understand most design build is contractor led design build. And we as architects are hired the same way you would hire a plumber or a, a, you know, a a toilet vendor or uh, any of the other glorious aspects of a, of a building. So the architect led design build um, puts us in control and as the leader and not the contractor. Um, So that's, that's, that gives us the ability to contract at different times and allow clients to get to a comfort level um, and make the decision when they need to, and not push them too early. So you so you bring in the construction
0: after the design.
1: We do. We we always we always tell them we can do it. We yeah, from up the front very beginning upfront yeah. they know, and upfront they're often very interested, but they're just not sure yet. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you don't need to have that conversation yet because. You know, until you know the scope of the building, you can't really do pricing anyway. It's it's you know programming and all the things that happen on the front end are really can really be um, separated from from the the construction of the building. Do you have do you have
0: projects where you're not running the construction?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, I'd say 30% of the projects we do, for one reason or another, doing a big affordable housing project, and the developer is a builder, um, which is a fairly common common um, configuration in, in affordable housing or we're working in a, a a big union environment outside of um our you know new york city say where where again it just is not, it's just not in the cards um and it's fine it's and i what it does bring home for us is every time we do a traditional delivery method regardless of this is not a function of whether it's a good contract or a bad contract or a good client or a bad client. It's so painful because we see so much lost opportunity from a design standpoint, so much wasted mo- money from an owner standpoint. Um, but you know, we, we architectural opportunities don't only occur in the design build world. So we're, we um, we certainly can operate that way. But if it we very much changes the way we draw and the um, and the way we we think.
0: Yeah, you have no control during construction. Well, you have limited control during construction when when a general contractor is in charge. So you that's have to right. do more drawing, more details, more oversight, construction administration.
1: It's it's interesting. It's um uh, partly that's true. Um uh partly when we're building, I think we do far more we do far more drawing actually when we're building because the one because it has to happen sometime. A normal architectural fee cannot cover all the drawing that that's required to really build a a building, unless it's a very straightforward thing. And and so you have to work within your fee. Uh, We all do, right? And uh, so when we're building, and often what happens is you get the drawings, which describe the design intent, you you read through the AIA contracts, it's very clear what our drawings are supposed to do. And the contractor then has to unpack all that and figure, or the subcontractors have to figure out exactly how it's gonna go together. But there's a huge loss of design opportunity and a loss of translation through that process so we will do a ton more drawing but we can do it under our cm hat and under our cm fee because that 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 work has to happen um and as architects it's it's much more efficient we know exactly where all the plumbing sleeves for the concrete slab have to go because you know we understand all the plumbing drawings
0: yeah, that's super interesting because a general contractor, they wouldn't do that. They would, they would just figure it out on site. They'd just, you know, have a conversation with the trade and we'll do with that. And then whatever happens, happens, right? And with architects, we can actually design it and figure it out and come up with a solution, design it and check it out and see if that model really works. So if it doesn't work, we can design it the other way. And then when you build it, you know, it's going to work. You know, what it's going to look like, you know, what the materials are potentially a lot less less cost involved because you've figured out all the details before you actually build it. Um, so you, I could understand how you'd have a lot more drawings, but be
1: much more efficient. Right. And it's it it should also, it's really important to understand too, that we can't, even though we're experienced design builders, we can't do this ourselves. So there's we rely tremendously on the trades because the fact of the matter is that one plumber may choose to do uh, plumbing, you know, the, their risers and stacks and vents in all, a, a certain way. And another may have a different preference. And it's not, one's not right or wrong. I mean, there are wrong ways to do it, but by and large, yeah. there's more than one way to do it. And some of it will depend on how they're tooled, how their labor is, is um, organized. And so there are cost savings that that an, a, me- a mechanical engineer nor an architect can figure out. So we don't do these projects by ourselves just like an architect doesn't design a building by themselves because they have their whole team of consulting engineers who are like an integral part of the the design as soon as we get into even early estimating we very much work and collaborate um, with uh, all the subcontractors and it's great so if we're on an early design um, meeting with uh, or working on the design of a facade of a building and we have idea conceptually about what we want to do, but we're not sure how to do it, we can just call up uh, the rain screen sub who we've worked with and say, well, what would you do in this case? What do you think is the, and, and that's not something you can get from vendors and it's not something you can get from, from design, whether architects or consultants. It really, they're the ones in the field, they really know. Uh, and, and it's a huge fountain of information that we get to tap not just during construction, but in design, and that's usually valuable. Is that a, a very
0: intentional process that you go through to communicate that respect that you have for your subs to make sure that they understand that? Because intuitively, there's this this conflict between architects and and contractors that that contractors aren't respected, and so if, therefore there's this wall that they put up, and an architect you know goes back and forth, and so you have to be very intentional about that. Is there a process that you go through to make that happen, or is it just earned over time with working with the same people?
1: It's it's earned over time, and it's also it's also it's even earned upfront because when we get uh, so if we have a a contractor in um, a glazer or cladding person. Um, we're asking questions of them that they're not often asked of and they're they they know because they see the drawings they usually get and they know that this is not the smartest or best way to do it but on the other hand you know cds are contract documents it's a contract so and of course there's always you know requests for um, value engineering ideas or different ways of saving money but not early enough that it can really happen they're really they, Contractors generally get their ears pinned back when they do when they deviate from the documents. Whether right. the documents make any sense at all is not <laughs> the question. It's those are the documents. And so in this way, we're able to, and so often one, because we're used to speaking with them, we're asking them for their for their expertise early, which they rarely get the opportunity to do, and they and they they um they get very excited about doing it. So that that doesn't take kind of a, a period of building up. Respect, and then when we're actually on a job with people, because we're architects and we understand dimensioning and we know what matters, and where we can bring a lot of value, and where a contractor can get really hurt is if they lay the wall out wrong and they build it in the wrong place. All the, the wall could be perfectly built, but if it's not in the right place, it's on them, right, to to fix that. Or it's too late; you can't afford to. There's not enough time, and then the architect has to just suck it up, or the owner ultimately has to suck it up. Um, but in this case, we spend a lot of time helping with layout, supervising, double checking things, giving them drawings, dimension drawings that make it easier for them. So once they've been on one of our projects, they all want to keep doing it because yeah. it, it makes it's and and it's it's faster, it's cheaper, they make more money, the owner doesn't have change. It's everyone wins. And the and the architecture is uh, is much better because we're in, like you said, we're in control, and it's we're not going to end up with well the ceiling has to be six inches lower, because we couldn't get the sprinkler pipe in. You know, we're there on site, making sure that every drop is where it needs to be.
0: Are there places in the project that um, that sort of slip through the responsibility, the scope? Because I've done I've done um, architect led design build on a smaller scale, residential scale. And there's always that um, that spot where sort of the general trades of the cleanup and the and the, the all the little miscellaneous things that typically would be a general contractor's responsibility that they just need to do um, now is part of your your responsibility as as the construction manager that somebody needs to do that. Um, how do you handle that? Does everybody sort of have a very uh, detailed scope of work that they're working with? So generally,
1: so, so there's, there's a big learning curve in that one, right? The first time you're, you know, it's like, well, what about the cleanup? What about the general labor? Right. I mean, how much general labor do you need for a different size project? So some of that comes with, and that's why kind of growing into something, right. Makes sense. Um, we do, we, we, we buy, um, we've a couple of things we've done. One, we try to buy labor with the subs and we're clear about, uh, you know, and we write all the scope sheets. Now, every big CM does this, every, you know, where they write the scope sheets. What's the subcontractor's responsibility for their trash? How far does it go? Is it a pile in the middle of the floor? Which is kind of typical. And then general labor will come and take it to the dumpsters. So we write all those scopes and we talk through this with them and and safety protection, like that's all carpentry. Right. We will. We'll, and then we've also found just like you would buy any other trade, you can buy labor. Just like you can buy plumbing and glazing and, and edging, so you can. And then we can use that as a resource. So we and and we now know how to. When we're guaranteeing prices, we have a pretty good sense of how much labor you would need and budget accordingly for it, so you don't get stuck with a big surprise at the end, saying, "Oh, you know, we didn't we didn't think about that, and now we have a cost that we don't have, right. we haven't anticipated."
0: So it can be handled like an just another trade. It's just a labor trade. trade. Yeah. Great. Interesting. Um, so we're, we're thousands of small firm architects are listening to us right now. And lots of them have thought about doing this. Um, I've, I've been talking about encouraging architects to do this for a long time. I see the value in it. I've done it myself. Um, is there some advice that you have for those architects who want to step into this and, 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 uh, don't want to do it wrong. Do you have any suggestions, any tips on what they should be looking at, uh, out for? I,
1: I would say that the the biggest impediment we see in the industry to starting this is kind of trepidation of the the risk that that goes into to taking something like this on. I, if I really strongly believe that architects are. Generally, extremely well trained, have the right skill set to do this successfully. Um, especially, you know, like we did, we started small and worked our way up. Um, there's no way we could have started at the scale we're operating on now. It took 25 years. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the 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 biggest single piece of advice would be, just do it. Just just try it just, just in, and you'll see how quickly you'll learn of course, but you'll see how quickly and how large the rewards are. Yeah. And it'll be, it won't be that much longer before you realize you really don't want to practice any other way. I, I think it, there is partly because of the, the, the contracts and, and, this kind of, this general feeling out there that, you know, there's so much risk and it's so dangerous and there's so, so much to lose. And um, the, the, kind of the logistics of it is very simple. Separate your, your professional liability, your personal liability from the contracting one, which every contractor does. Uh, and if you can start as an advisor where you are, and you, and you can talk to your insurance companies, they can, they as long as you're not directly directing people. So as long as you're managing it and you can be an advisor to an owner, basically representative for them, um, and they hold the contracts, which is how we started. Yep. Um, you you've really limited that, and then you have one under your belt. and then with that, then you can go to your ins- you can actually get contractors insurance. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a little bit of being careful and then just a lot of just go for it. Yeah, go for it, and you'll be rewarded.
0: Yeah, so so I just want I just want to put a point on that because that is how we started. we We started with that small project. Um, we checked with our insurance company. Our architecture, you uh, know, insurance actually covered us up to a certain uh, percentage of projects, and so we can just we we did that first project, um, and kept it under whatever the rule was to keep the insurance coverage on it, um, and very quickly learned the benefits of architect-led design-build, and then grew from there and did a lot of projects that way uh, for for many years, and. It is just a matter of just doing one, or, or even in our case, just saying yes. Because in our case, we had clients asking us every time we met with them, do you build it too? <laughs> right, just because they didn't know. And and we would just for years say, no, that's not our job. We general contractors. And then one day I just said, yes, <laughs> we, we build it too. And then I figured out how to do it. And so that's great advice to just just do it and just start small, take on that risk, learn what you need to learn, and then you'll see the benefits of it, and you'll want to do more of it, and then you can you can grow into it.
1: I Firmly believe that, and yeah. I think it's I think not only is it good for every individual practitioner like we're talking about right now, but I think it's fundamental to the profession. I mean, there there's the as architects within the the greater the um, industry at large we're more and more compromised, more and more, um, you know, our scope is getting reduced, our fees are getting reduced because we're doing less and less. And this feedback loop over generations now has architects who really don't know how things go together. And you can't design a great building if you don't know how things go together. And people are relying on vendors and vendors are selling product. And yeah, it's safe because everything within that system has been figured out, but it's, that's, that's not the way to make a great building. And, and so I, I think we need to, you know, I'd say to every individual small practitioner, just do it. And I would say to the industry, we have to do this. We have to take back, we have to regain respect within the the, the greater building industry within the, within the United States. Um, and it's going to start like one person at a time on a small project or even your own apartment or your own house addition and realizing that you can do it. And then bit by bit, we'll all kind of raise the level of our knowledge as architects and understand how things are built and raise the, 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 the role of, and, and the, and the, um, the feeling of what architects and the, and the value they provide to society. So I, I don't think we can sequester ourselves away and, and be satisfied with making pretty, you know, buildings that have great spatial environments and, and are, you know, well-planned. We, we, we have to, we have to fight for, change in, 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 in what we're doing in our built environment.
0: His name is Thomas Gluck. The company's name, the firm's name is Gluck Plus. You can learn more about Thomas and all the work that they're doing at gluckplus.com. That's Gluck Plus spelled out, uh, G-L-U-C-K-P-L-U-S.com. Go check it out, doing some amazing work. Um, lots of it, architect-led design build. Thomas I appreciate you for coming by and, and sharing your knowledge about architect led design build um, i'm I'm appreciate the work that you do um, some beautiful work and uh, and thank you for leading the profession and sharing your knowledge here today at Entree architect podcast
1: thank you for having me it's been uh, it's something it's clear we're all passionate about so it's it's something that we're all happy to talk about
0: If you liked this episode of Entrez Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entrez Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the Small Firm Architect Community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annualmeeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annualmeeting, and I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annualmeeting. It's a conference for you, Small Firm Architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know.
1: I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet, because it scares the out of me.
0: Calling all small firm architects, it's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architect's context and clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlepage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action.
1: There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation, was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so uh, for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more.
0: Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.